Hello, hello everybody. Hello, we are back for a career and spirituality conversation. And I'm Julie Pohn. I'm supporting spiritual seekers having a career experience to love what they do for a living <laughs> again. And uh, here I am with my dear friend and colleague, Kathy Brooks. Kathy, how are you today? I am so good. If I were any better, it would be illegal. <laughs> it would be, I would be breaking the law. Okay. Well, we like to live on the edge, don't we? Yes. Sure do. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Kathy, um, you're a voice. I see you as a voice specialist, a communication and leadership expert. And you're working with people to improve their communication. You're also the co-founder of a beautiful started startup that will, you, you'll talk about it, so I won't spoil it, but that will basically support people to communicate with each other, like on a deep level. And you're also, and I love that aspect of you, you're also occasionally helping doggies communicate with their humans. <laughs> so I love that. But we're gonna have like we're gonna have a, a an hour conversation about all this. How do what do you say if you're having a, a, a minute or two of breathing so that everyone is uh, in the right frame of mind to listen to your story? Mm. Oxygen is your friend. I'm a big fan of mindful and conscious breathing. Awesome. Okay, so let's do this. So for those of you who can, who actually can do so while not um, driving or piloting an airplane or doing anything. <laughs> I love the idea of someone flying an airplane listening to this conversation. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that idea. Yeah, I don't know, like, you know, like operating like a heavy machinery. A machinery. Yeah. Yes, you know, God knows. Doing surgery. If you're doing oh, yeah. surgery right now, you're operating oh, on someone's brain or heart or you're delivering a baby. Maybe just don't close your eyes in this moment. No. No. <laughs> but please do still breathe consciously <laughs> while you are doing those things. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay, so, okay, collecting myself because it's going to be a lot of giggling, I feel. <laughs> Okay, so close your eyes and first thing, just press your feet into the ground a little bit, just as a reminder of where we are and the support that we're getting from the ground, from the earth underneath us, grounding ourselves. And then bring your attention and your focus all the way back up to your chest. And more specifically in the middle of your chest, in your heart area. And just imagine as if your breath is flowing in and out directly through the heart. And just take some breath a little bit deeper and slower than you usually do. And we'll do this for about a minute. Okay, wonderful. So when you're ready, open your eyes again and bring yourself back. The mm. little stretch. Enjoy this conversation. Mm, delicious. Yeah. 
I just had an immediate flashback to the very first guided meditation. I had the distinct pleasure of being in that you were leading. I remember where I was sitting. Yeah. I remember the time of day. I I, I can visualize I was in this beautiful boutique hotel in San Luis Obispo, California. I had gone there for a very dear friend's very intimate, beautiful wedding. You and I were coaching together in a program. We were colleagues in a program. It was a Sunday morning. It was early. It was the day after the wedding. I had had gone out and gotten my coffee. And I had this sensation when you guided the group through that heart-centered breathing and you guided us to literally connect with each other. It was palpable. Mm -hmm. And what a reminder, not only to be conscious with our breath, but that if we are even more exquisitely attentive to it and mindful that I am not, it's my breath is not just for me. Mm. It is literally my breath is for the plants around me. Like I'm literally giving life and I'm taking life. I'm giving life and taking life that it's, it's a flow. So thank you, my friend. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah, it's powerful. It's not just for us. It's like it's so shared. It's the breath of life. It's a shared thing. Yeah. Yes. There's a word in Hebrew, mm-hmm. uh, ruach. Okay. It means literally translated as the breath of God, but it's the description of the wind in the Bible. Okay. The breath of God. I always wanted to get a really big dog and name it ruach. Oh. Yeah. And just scream ruach. <laughs> <laughs> May still happen. Yeah, yeah. Knowing you, yeah, it may still happen for sure. Yes. So actually, it's a great segue because my first question, well, actually, my first two questions that I'm going to leave it up to you if you want to weave them together or do one and then the other. Okay. Is first, what's your definition of or your relationship to spirituality? What is it for you? And then the other question is like, what's to tell us a little bit more about your story, how did you end up doing what you're doing now, and possibly how has spirituality influenced the path? Uh, 100% influenced the path, actually. It was the journey of seeking consciousness, and I didn't know, I didn't, I wasn't conscious about consciousness, if that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't know at the time that that's what I was doing. Mm. but I was, but it's what I was doing. So, um, so I will answer them. I I will choose option C, which is, I will option B, which is, I will answer them together. Okay. So, um, language has been, language was my first music. Words Mm. were my first music from the time I was very, very small. Um, my first word was light. Okay. Um, a very difficult word for an, a small child to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you, I'm seeing your, your Oh, wait, hold on. Did that uh, yeah. better? Hold oh, on. Much better. Yeah. Much better? Okay. I'll take I that because having both headphones in was hard. That, Can you hear that's me? That's perfect oh. because you took off the one that has the part where you're speaking. Ha ha ha. But the audio is clear through. Wow. Look at that. That's fabulous. Oh my God, that's even better. So if I want to whisper very quietly to you, I can just do this. You can do that. Yes. (gasps) That's a different kind of podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Different conversation. Different different time. Different TED Talk. Yes. Different type. Different TED Talk. Yeah. So for me, language and the curiosity around it, around the way words fit together, the meaning of words um, and not just the meaning, like you open a dictionary and the meaning of them, but so many words you look at, you know, any dictionary definition and there's the word and its definition. And then, and there may be four or five. So if the words used this way, it means this. And if it's used this way, it means this. And if it's used this way in conjunction with this word, it means this. Yeah. And, and American English is particularly you know, challenging in this, that the definition of a word in a dictionary may may have no resemblance to how it's understood socially. And I always found that fascinating. I don't know why, I just did. And so for me, language um, was a gateway to to so many things. But what I realize now in the work that I've done for myself is that 
my understanding of language and connection predated my ability to speak. And it was largely through the connection with our family dog. His name was Pepper. He slept under my crib. Uh He was there when they brought me home from the hospital. He was inseparable to me. There's a great picture I have of me as an infant. I'm maybe, I don't know, seven months old and I'm on a carpet and I'm laughing and he's laying next to me. Like we both have our hands like this and I'm kind of turning and looking at him and he has his head kind of thrown back and it looks like he's laughing. I mean, we're sitting in the sun, so he's probably panting because he's hot, but it looks like we're sharing this delicious secret with each other. And what I've learned, I'll I'll skip the middle part of the story for a moment, but what I learned in the time period when I was working almost exclusively with dogs, when I kind of left my work with humans to work with dogs, is that you can hear them speak. Spend enough time in nature, spend enough time with animals, spend enough time even with infants and preverbal children, and you can hear them without their saying a word. Mm. And, and so for me, a lifelong communications person, um, I took to writing very early as well. So language, I became a very good writer. I went to journalism school. I worked in radio. I worked in television. I worked in lots of media forms, ended up in public relations in the tech industry in the Mm. very early nineties, which so pre mobile phones, pre network like pre-Netscape, so pre-commercial internet, you know, printers filled a whole room. So, I mean, it sounds like ancient history, but it was really like 19 or very early 90s. Yeah. So I got to be there as all of that literally shifted in almost literally an overnight. Yeah. You know, that it took <clears throat> year, just a handful of years for those transitions to change. So I stayed in Silicon Valley because I was fascinated by the people and the way they interacted with each other. The technology was interesting, but I found fascination in these individuals who saw a problem and seemingly out of the air created solutions to solve the problem Mm -hmm. in a way that had never been done before. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to me. And, And yet so many of them were functionally incapable of speaking to another human being unless they were talking technology. Speak to them in code and they're great. Talk to them about what they, you know, what their favorite ice cream flavor is. And it's like, blink, blink. blink, Is that what we call engineeritis? Engineer. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You can, it's, so, it's, sorry to all our engineer friends. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, well, but it's like the pocket protector people are like, yes, we're technology people. But the challenge is what we've seen in our society as we look over the last, probably the last 15 to 20 years in particular, is this splintering and polarization, not just, and this isn't to be clear, it's not a political conversation, that there is certainly the polarization on that political spectrum, the right versus left, the right versus wrong, this kind of judgment-based masculine energy control force. But it's, you know, people like who like dogs versus people who like cats versus people who like amphibians versus people who like birds, that um, people who talk politics versus people who talk music versus and it's like it's a it's a very us versus them no matter what group you belong to and that what technology has done on the on the not so great empowering side is i go online and i buy a product and then i'm looking at some articles and the next thing i know i'm being fed suggestions for other things which are relevant to me. So I choose them. And what I end up doing is the next thing I know, I'm in these silos. So like you have these grain silos in farm country, right? That are a hundred feet tall with concrete block walls. And like, you're at the bottom and there's no ladder. And even if there is a ladder, you're not climbing a hundred feet up to pop out. And like, what are you going to do once you're up there? Right. There's nowhere to go. And there's no bridge between the silos. Um, you're told that the other silos are dangerous or wrong, and but stay over here because we understand you. Now, take that with people who already feel wrong and they feel, feel like they belong. And then there are people who are like, come over here. Those people, they're all wrong. But we'll have you over here. And now you have things like, oh, I don't know, the Nazi party 
for example, where hatred of others becomes the thing that binds them together. And not just hatred, but hatred taken to a, we will exterminate others, right? Like it's not like you get, you get this. And so this isn't new, like really in the last 15 to 20 years, it's existed probably since the dawn of mankind. So how does that relate any of it to me? So I go through my career in Tilikum Valley. I start feeling, I start seeing the separation stuff happening by late 90s, early 2000s. So I start training dogs as a side hustle to give me something to do when I get out of work to give me joy because I'm not really finding joy in work anymore. It didn't occur to me to like just go do something else because that wasn't how I was raised. It wasn't my mindset. It wasn't any of my experience. So uh, I had always loved dogs. I had always been connected to them. I had always understood them. So I started training as a side hustle. So now fast forward to 2010, uh, I made some big changes in my life that allowed me to see over the course of the next two years, oh, I get to do something different with my life. So in 2012, I bumped into uh, a fellow that I knew in Silicon Valley. His name was Tony Shea. Mm-hmm. He was the CEO at the time of a company called Zappos, mm-hmm. uh, an online Zappos.com online shoe retailer uh, that ha- had just been purchased by Amazon. You know, so that was obviously a very big deal. And Tony and I had known each other for a couple of years, um, socially mostly. And I bumped into him at a conference, and I said, oh, "I just got to get out. I don't know what I want to do." He said, "Well, why don't you come visit Las Vegas this summer?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, that's the." dumbest idea I've ever heard. I, I just judiciously chose not to swear because that's not actually exactly what I said to him, but in the interest of yeah. cleansing my energy today, I'll leave the F-bomb out. Uh-huh. And um, you know, it's 120 degrees. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble. I'm a morning person and I like to be outside. <laughs> Nothing about that says, you know, Las Vegas, Nevada in August. Yeah. And so, um, but I went because he invited my dog Truman. So Truman and I went to Vegas for 10 days and I left that trip having committed to submit a business plan for a completely reimagined idea of what a dog training facility could look like. So it was educational in its mission uh-huh. and it offered services like day school, overnight boarding if you traveled, a beautiful verdant green grassy, like I built a park in the middle of the desert with big trees and water features that dogs could play. And then humans could come and be with their dogs and a clubhouse where people could hang out and a place you could bathe your dogs with hand tiled bougie bathing tubs, like all of the things. And, uh, and so six months to the day after going there on vacation, uh, I moved to Las Vegas. I closed my consulting practice. I moved to Las Vegas with my dog and all my stuff and opened, uh, 10 months later, opened a business there called the Hydrant Club. So I got about a year into this situation of this, this business and realized very quickly that um, there was something bigger. Mm-hmm. Something bigger was happening that I was having these connections with dogs, I was starting to really fully understand that I could get a group of 30 dogs to follow me by literally just standing up, like brushing off my pants in the park and saying, okay, guys, nap time and turning and walking inside. And all 30 dogs would get up and file in behind me. And I trained staff to do the same thing. Uh So while I do know that I am special and unique, we are all special and unique. While I know that I am very clear that I have specific superpowers in the realm of communication and understanding animals and all of that. I'm clear on that. I am also able to teach other people to tap into and access that skill in themselves. So I started really looking at how my conversations with my dog training clients were going. And it was always, so if your dog is misbehaving, so how are you doing today? And what's your relationship with your dog? What does your dog understand the relationship with you to be? Oh, the problem is your dog doesn't understand what the relationship is because you're miscommunicating or conflicting messages or treating your dog in a way that your dog doesn't fundamentally understand as a dog. So treat your dog the way your dog needs to be treated for your dog to be successful and your dog will be successful. And by the way, every dog is different. 
certain breeds now with difference between dogs and humans is that a dog has been selectively bred for specific skill sets, behaviors, and temperaments. So a certain dog, whether it be a German shepherd or an old English sheepdog or a Bichon Frise or a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, like each breed was created literally by man to have a specific functionality. And so there are certain inclinations they have. Doesn't mean they're all like that. I've met a Belgian Malinois who didn't have any drive. Like you could slap him in the face with a steak and he'd apologize to you. (laughs) And I've met a Chihuahua mix that had the highest level of tolerance to discomfort of any dog I've ever worked with. The most difficult dog I've ever worked with. He was a biter. It took a catastrophic attack by another dog that almost killed him to right-size his behavior. Okay, because Meaning, how, how is a chihuahua supposed, how is a normal chihuahua supposed to be? Well, I don't know that there's anything normal about a chihuahua, to be perfectly honest, because when you think about the Frankenstein work that humans have done in master breeding, kind of master species breeding and putting qualities together that don't belong together, yeah. right? So. Have you ever had had two friends who individually, they're amazing human beings and they're in your friend circle and you love them both. And then they meet at a party and they start dating and you say, oh, that's (laughs) probably not a great idea. And the relationship has friction and fireworks and you know, it's not healthy, but they stay together. Then a year later, they say, or probably not even a year, six weeks later, they say, we're getting married. Uh And you're like, probably a really bad idea. You probably shouldn't do that. But of course you don't say that. And then they get married and the marriage is fraught with challenges and they're in counseling before they even get married and they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to make it work and but they love each other. So it's going to work. And then they decide they're going to have kids. There's usually a lot of challenge. Like kids don't fix that. No. They usually pour kerosene on it, Mm -hmm. on an open flame. So, and again, be clear that I'm painting with a very broad brush, right? But when you think about the breeding of a dog and you think about personality types Mm -hmm. and behavior types and you put them together when they shouldn't be put together, you may get a good solution. You are more likely going to get the base, more primal instinct of the animal and so like when someone told me that they were breeding pomeranians and cyber siberian huskies called a pomsky oh because someone wanted a dog that looked like a husky but didn't want a dog that was that big oh but like we'll just make them smaller i know the huskies are super intelligent but what are the 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 pomeranian what's the what's the main quality so so with a siberian husky they're very very smart They're very, very high drive. They need to run. They need to work. They need to go. They need to be mentally stimulated. They need a lot of activity. They're a terrible city dog. They're much better, you know, unless you're a city person who walks everywhere and the dog hikes with you and goes camping, like unless you do all of that um, and you give the dog the exercise and the mental stimulation it needs, they also need very clear leadership, very firm leadership. The Pomeranian is kind of like someone took a chihuahua and stuck its paw in an electric socket and <laughs> you know and it's a, a very tightly wound okay. um, tightly wound like anxious okay. uh, very stubborn yeah uh kind of dismissive of humans in a lot of cases they can be a little bit snippy yeah and so imagine a small to medium dog that doesn't particularly respect people it's got a lot of energy, is really smart and very stubborn. Yeah. But it's really cute. Yeah. So all of this is a way to say that what I found was that I started really wanting to coach humans. Yeah. So I went through leadership training of my own, not realizing that that was the direction that I was necessarily going to go, um, ended up liking it and being good at it ended up getting my, you know, certificate of Mm -hmm. training and then going back and doing more of that, Mm -hmm. which is of course how you and I met. 
Yeah, is it how, did you do that because you realized that there was even more need to coach people when you were working with them with their dog? You know, I, I originally went into my leadership training because I was looking for ways to grow my dog training business. Like I didn't, I hadn't really necessarily put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And when someone asked me the simple question, what do you want? Uh What is your vision? And the words that came out of my mouth were, I want to heal the world. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that sounds like bailing the ocean with a teaspoon. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but I thought it and I said it. So what does that get to look like? And what does that mean? Yeah. And what it means is radical responsibility and authenticity in my life and showing others how to do same. One of the other superpowers I have is that I'm the person who will walk into a crowded room and go, what smells bad? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, everybody else has been standing there smelling the bad thing, but everybody was And so as someone who is deeply comfortable walking into discomfort and saying the thing that everyone's thinking and no one else wants to say, yeah. um, and finding that I have the ability to guide people to doing that in a way that doesn't mean being an asshole about it. Radical authenticity doesn't mean saying whatever's on my mind just to get it off my chest. That's called indulgence. Mm -hmm. That's called self-absorption. How do, but how do I get to a place where I can be so comp- coming from such a place of kindness and compassion that I can say the hard thing and it'll land in a way that it's received. Yeah. Doesn't mean the person's going to like hearing it, but they're not going to turn around and start throwing F-bombs at me. And now they might, if they're not in a place where they can hear it, but if I've, if I've established sufficient trust, which by the way, takes about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And if I've established sufficient vulnerability, which by the way, takes about 30 seconds, then everything is possible. Mm -hmm. Literally everything. There is no conflict that cannot be resolved when a sufficient number of people are willing to stand in the face of whatever is being thrown at them and say, so I get that you're upset and I get that you don't like me. Can we talk about where we might agree so that we can find a solution. Yeah. We can literally live in a world where war doesn't exist. We can live in a world where people don't go hungry. We can live in a world where children aren't afraid to go to school. I mean, I live in a country where there have been more than 400 school shootings this year. We're not even halfway through the year and there are children who are suffering from PTSD at the age of seven because there are walls set up. And I heard a story the other day that kids go into a classroom and there's these, it's this thing that's been created that it's like, it's a safe room that can be constructed in the middle of a classroom in like 15 seconds. And this is what children are being taught. That they're being taught to hide in a closet. And the answer isn't more metal detectors and the answer isn't more guns. And the answer, the answer is the people who are doing this are sick and they're angry and they're sad and they're ostracized. That's the problem we get to solve. That is the problem we get to solve. And we don't do it in our silos. So an answer long way around to your question, I do what I do because I can't do otherwise. And I do what I do because the path that I started walking on tells me that I was put on this planet to be an agent of change because we, every person on this planet who's breathing is an agent of change Mm -hmm. in their own way, in their own world, whatever that may be. Some people are meant to be on a larger stage to teach more people. That's that's the card that got dealt in my deck. Yeah. The expression, the voice. Yeah. Use your voice. Yeah. Everyone gets to be heard. Everyone 
gets to be heard. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I see how it's it's funny how your it all started with communication even with pre-voice. So like because there's two channels, there is the, the data channel, the words, and then the, there is everything else and the body language and the, the energy behind the words. And you, you know that energy so well from just telepathically, I don't know if it's telepathic, but, like, but intuiting communication with animals. And you also have the gift of using the words to convey the, the, the in, invisible into the visible. Yeah. Another superpower. Yeah. I've got a few people are like, what do you want your superpower to be? I'm like, I don't have to want it. I already have it. Yeah. I got a bunch. I mean, being able to fly would be kind of cool or to be able to like teleport myself to another place. Um, yeah. Those would be kind of cool. Being able to like bend steel or do, you know, kind of superhuman <laughs> things that might be kind of neato, but I'm good. I got, I got plenty. I got yeah. plenty. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, it's that consciousness. There's, there's, there's a story I've never actually told. Oh, uh, I know why light was my first word. It's not a usual first word for a no. child. Mama, dada, papa. Like there's these very, the yeah. sounds that children utter are, they're not um, round sounds. They're very kind of open sounds. The children like T's, L's and T's are very difficult because they require a different form of the mouth. So I had a number, I have had a number of experiences as an adult uh, around light. Um, I had some during a certain period of my life where I wasn't sure whether I was having the experience or whether something else had aided me in having the experience. I'll yeah. just yeah. leave it leave it with that. Um, but I've had the experiences since that's no longer part of my story. So I know that it is true. And it's the experience of being in a space that is dark. Mm -hmm where the space is suddenly filled with light. And in that light is literally the answer to everything. Um, you can call it the voice of God if you are someone who yeah. uses the G word and has that kind of spiritual connection. I, I, my faith is, my faith in consciousness is attached to greater consciousness. Uh -huh. I was raised in a Jewish home, so my kind of cultural inclination is toward Judaism and the Torah, which there is one of the first prayers in the morning in the Hebrew prayer book talks about, uh, it's a, it's about the daybreak and, it, and it's, it's about daybreak. So okay. sunrise. Okay. And yeah. it is, um, it's essentially says, uh, the light shines through as if God is pulling back the curtain. Oh, Right. Like that's like the reveal of the day, like the ta-da jazz hands of the day. Um, but I, I had a light experience last week. I was doing a morning walking meditation and the there was a beam of light coming through the trees. And I was like, it was literally like it was coming right into my third eye. And all of a sudden, and it was like this starburst, like little splinters, fractals of rainbow light. And and it felt like it was opening and coming through the trees and wrapping around me. And so my belief yeah. is that as an infant in those pre-verbal times when Pepper was under the crib, when I was communing with Pepper, that there were other beings in that space with us, whether they be the grandparents who passed, other spirit beings. But I believe that there was a light that I witnessed that I experienced before I had words for it and that it was such a big part of, of my understanding that I, that I was here for a reason, that that was the first word that I uttered, that light made the most sense to me. Yeah. And when I, when I first got sober and I was asked to come up with my definition of what my higher power was, yeah. I described my higher power as a, a source of light, an emanating, all-encompassing, that doesn't burn, that doesn't scald, yet it is warm okay. and cool at the same time. 
and all encompassing and wraps around everything. Mm. So it's part of what I do. Yeah. So in your work, who are you working with now? And what does that look like? And to what extent, because I know you're working with words, the voice, but like to what extent do you also bring in the intangible? Do you or do you not? Or how does that how do how do you bridge that that aspect with uh, with the people you work with? Great question. Um, so with unleashed leadership, which uh -huh. is the the leadership and communication coaching, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Yeah, which is great fun. It's you know it's always fun to be in connection with someone for you know a year. You get to witness them in a full turn around the sun, and to to see the true genesis uh -huh. and development through that time. Uh, I also do small group coaching. I typically run two to three cohorts. Mm -hmm. a year. They're six months in length, mm -hmm. um, just kicking one off now, which I'm very excited about. And they tend to be, sm again, smaller cohorts. So no more than 10 people. I like to keep it small. It's So what science and research have shown is that in order to really move behavior, you can't do it in a large group setting. Okay. So like a trainer in front of a room of a lot of people will influence a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, if those people have done certain work, they'll be influenced greatly, but that the real work, it's why any large training program where you're in a training cohort of like 150 people will have small working groups with a coach. Yeah. All of them do. And there's a reason for that because that's how people learn. Yeah. Larger than 10. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't show up. Yeah. Smaller than six. Sometimes you don't have quite enough momentum. So yeah. six to 10 is a nice sweet spot. And it's, comprised of a bunch of different things. There's one-on-one -on -one group, group, there's one-on-one -on -one work, there's group work. Yeah. I do a monthly webinar that's just for my current and past clients. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of, I appear on summits and do a lot of you know, other content. I have a weekly podcast and all of that where I'm just kind of sharing experiences and, and lessons. And it's, it's really about first finding where someone's stuck. Mm -hmm. so because if, if you don't know where someone's stuck, you don't know where to work. All of these, all of your clients, they're coming to you. They can be like, you know, it's coaching on, on anything or like it's specific because they have a communication issue. So, um, so both, <clears throat> let me narrow it down a little. So if, so the, the broad spectrum, who are the people that I work with? They tend to be founders, yeah. founders or CEOs of companies or senior yeah. management at a company, um, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, small business, small business entrepreneurs, a lot of them working on their own who are trying to find ways to really communicate. Uh -huh. uh, they're people who have achieved some success already. Like these are people, aren't people who are like, oh, I've never gotten out of starting blocks. I don't know how to launch. These are, okay. I've launched and sold businesses. Yeah. My business is bottom line, looks great. I have a wonderful wife or husband or partner. I've got great kids, but I feel like like there's just something missing. Like I see other people that I'm actually more skilled than they are. Mm -hmm. Why are they making more money? Uh -huh. I see this person over here. I know that my product is actually superior to that product. Why are they getting more visible? I see that person over there in a really healthy relationship. Why why am I not in that relation? Why am I not in a relationship? Like I, yeah. and so if I really looked at everything, the only thing that's ever in the way of anything mm -hmm. is me. Yeah. There's never anything in my way. Yeah. I can tell myself that it's the way someone's treating me or it's the obstacle that's put up or I don't have enough or but, but I can say that all day long, yeah. but I'm always in the way. And so first I get to understand and communicate with myself so that I can then communicate with others. It's all, everything comes down to communication, mm. everything. Yeah. And I can get success and make it happen and pay a really high price for it. Or 
I can choose option B, which is communication that connects, that empowers, that's meaningful, and have relationships that are exponentially more powerful. And it might take me a tick longer to get to that level of success, but it's going to be sustainable and it's going to be steady. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what I hear from people. I want more ease and flow in my life. I want to feel peaceful. Why does everything have to be a struggle? Why do people just not understand me? Fuck them, they don't understand me. It's them, not me. Well, I got to tell you, if 10, you know, it's you and I've heard this metaphor before. If one person calls you an ass, whatever, 10 people call you an ass, go buy a saddle. Yeah. Yeah. So if my whole life people have been saying a certain thing, it can't be all of them. Yeah. So how do I look at me without blaming myself? It doesn't mean I'm bad or I'm wrong. I developed that behavior for a really good reason at some point. It doesn't serve anymore. So put it down. So you're helping people. So whatever has been the, the elephant in the room in their life that gets to be expressed either to themselves or to others, that's what you're helping them to voice. I'm so, the person who walks into the room and says, oh, look, yeah. an elephant. Yeah. Because that phrase, the elephant in the room, is, is the huge thing. We're just not going to pay attention to the elephant. It's like, how do you not pay attention to the elephant? It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's sitting there going, Bruh! I mean, how do you not pay attention to the elephant? And they're super cute when they're little and their ears are like. Yeah. But they take up a lot of space. They yeah. take up a lot of space. And what's interesting is that when you acknowledge it, it gets smaller. Mm. and it eventually just goes and sits in the rocking chair on the other side I imagine the elephant with like the little round glasses perched on its nose just knitting yeah (laughs) sitting in a rocking chair I'm actually sitting in a rocking chair in case you didn't oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so the elephant looks different for everyone so there is not yeah there's not a common like you know common type of uh elephants that you're having in your groups it can be anything yeah I mean what it comes down to is that here's the thing even when the elephants look different yeah the motivations underneath them are exactly the same oh okay so tell us what are people people want to look good okay they're afraid they're not going to look good they're afraid they're going to be wrong and they really want to be right yeah they're afraid yeah they feel unworthy Mm -hmm. They're trying to control something because if I control it, I can feel safe. Yeah. There is no control. There's no control. Only thing I can control is my response to a thing. And Mm -hmm. so again, back to communication. Someone says something to me and I take issue with it. I'm insulted or I'm hurt or I'm angry, or Mm -hmm. I'm whatever. What it comes down to is my response has nothing to do with what they're doing. Their response is triggering something for me. I'm making it mean something. Because nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, what I think the other person means by a thing wasn't that at all, yeah. Not even a little bit. Now, in the maybe one time where someone has maliciously done something with an intent to get it, again, that action on their part, Mm -hmm. the stories other people make about me says more about them than it does about me. I heard a beautiful thing with my meditations this morning, wrote it down, so I'm going to share it. that anytime I modify myself based on feedback from other people, there's a 100% chance that I'm being trained away from my own internal guidance. Oh. I was today days old when that one landed for me. So again, say it again. Anytime I modify myself 
yeah. based on feedback from other people, yeah. there is a 100% chance mm -hmm. that they are training me away from who I am, from my own internal guidance system. Does that mean we don't listen to feedback from people? Well, no, but be judicious about whose feedback you pay attention to. I, I'm even going to push it further. It's like we're allowing them to train us. They're not sure. training us. We're giving it away. Yeah. We're giving it away. And here's the good news about it. Don't beat yourself up. Just change your behavior. Like literally just make it. It is literally as simple as making a choice. Yeah. Are you prepared to, to just be honest and looking at yourself? And in my own early work, my, I thought I was honest and looking at myself. And it was what I did was I just used it as an excuse to beat myself up. Oh, I really am a piece of trash. I really am an idiot. I'm never going to accomplish anything. I'm useless. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. I'm like all of the things. Uh -huh. And my feelings about myself today, mm -hmm. I am, are unrecognizable to myself from three and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And so the work I do now is I don't want anyone else to have to spend three years or 30 years, three minutes longer than they have to yeah. getting to where they get to feel good about themselves. And I'm not talking about some Pollyanna airy fairy skipping on the sunbeams. They never feel like I feel feelings all the time, all of them, yeah. sometimes most of them in, in the same breath. It's what do I do with them? And on a good day, those feelings hold me a lot shorter, right? I'll have the feeling. I won't get into the feeling. I'll sit next to the feeling and I'll let it go, right? Have the feeling and use the feeling, use the pain, use the discomfort, use the anger and the fear and the frustration. Use it as a guidepost. That's all it is. It's pain is the body's way of letting me know where to pay attention. Uh -huh. Emotional pain, spiritual pain, no different. That's a pain point. That's why they call them growing pains mm. because it's uncomfortable. And so, you know, I realized that for so much of my life, you know, I think about gossip, right? Yeah. So much of my life, I just like, I was completely like oblivious of what other people were saying about me. But then I'd hear what someone said about me that was a negative thing. Oh, and, and because I hadn't yet done the work, yeah. it hurt me. Now I'm at a point where, so say something about me. Okay, is it true? In that moment, was I really being like that? Mm -hmm. I can see how that might've been their experience. Mm -hmm. What was going on for me that I behaved that way? Yeah. Mm. Didn't get up early enough. I ate dinner too late, so I didn't sleep well. I didn't clean up some mess before I went to bed. So I slept with it and then woke up in an emotion like, oh, okay. So when I don't do the things that I know I need to do for my spiritual and emotional hygiene, yeah, right? Like every night I floss and brush my teeth before I go to bed. I wash my face, I moisturize. I put on clean pajamas like I do. I drink a glass of water. Like I do these things physically for myself. What am I doing to floss my brain? What am I doing to floss my spirit? To yeah. floss, brush, and fluoride rinse my soul yeah. before I go to bed. Because if you go to bed without brushing your teeth, eventually you don't have teeth. Yeah, or you have very ugly looking ones. Well, or go to bed yeah. often enough without properly taking care of your spirit and soul, and it'll rot too. Yeah, you get very ugly thoughts and your soul will smell bad. Yeah, yeah. Your soul will smell bad. Yeah, kind of like somebody who hasn't brushed their teeth. And yeah. I don't know why I remember there's a thing about a cow you once said to me that was very funny. And all of a sudden I thought about I thought about that. I don't know that we want to share that in this context. So for the listeners, if you weren't clear on how funny this lady is. <laughs> Never fails to say something that keeps me in stitches forever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's not mention the cow. Yes. <laughs> that's a different, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. 
I love this metaphor. It's a reminder, it's a great reminder. Because I've noticed that sometimes, because we are talking about communication and how we take things that people tell us, the extent to which sometimes we, well, I, so I could make up a whole story about about what was happening within a relationship or an interaction with somebody and what they said, what it meant, because I was in a, like in in a certain emotional state that suddenly and in the past I would have acted on that in that state and maybe maybe even the recent not so <laughs> fairly recent past. Uh, but I've had the experience as well of not acting on it and then get, letting some time pass just even some time and being in a different state and suddenly realizing that the situation has so nothing to do with what and it felt but it felt so intense it felt it feels so real we are so uh, easily um you said trumped is that the word like we're oh don't use that word we're convinced we, for sure yeah like it's so our, like the illusion of our emotions are so convincing yeah. to make us believe that something very specific is happening with someone or like with something yeah well feelings are so here's the paradox yeah feelings are real mm, yeah but feelings aren't facts yeah oh right feelings are real but feelings aren't facts mm -hmm. that that i'm allowed to be angry yeah. and sad and scared and joyful and furious and envious and like all of the things i'm allowed to be those things yeah. with with two kind of qualifiers for me i don't get to have my feelings on somebody else yeah. So that's the first one. And I've had my feelings on other people. I had a call this morning just before we got on today with a friend who we had feelings on each other the other day. Mm -hmm. And we got to clean that up in a really, in a very powerful and meaningful way. Mm -hmm. um, and the other is that I don't get to wallow in them, I don't get to be in my feelings, I get to have them without them having me i get to be with my feelings so the visual that i have is like whatever is the feeling i just sit next to it uh-huh right so i'm present yeah. with it yeah but i don't let it get in my lap i don't let it climb onto my back mm -hmm. i don't let it crawl into my skin and you know and there are those i mean look i've got you know, a situation in a family relationship mm -hmm. with someone who I love because she, she's my sister. I love her. Mm -hmm. And she's disconnected from the experience and exp appropriate expression of her feelings. And so my experience of her is that she puts her feelings on other, like, I'm so unhappy. I'm just going to poke until everybody around me feels the same way. Okay. And it's not a conscious choice on her part. It's not consciously doing it. Yeah. And, you know, I get to make some choices about how do I get to hold that space? You know, that just because I communicate well doesn't mean a big universal kumbaya where everybody sits in a big circle together, you know, arms linked, swaying back and forth in perfect harmony that we all love each other. Because energy yeah. has polarity inherent in let's just physics right and that there are some energies that can't physically reside in the same physical space at the same time just try taking two magnets and yeah. pushing them together when the polarities that you're trying to match don't match yeah right they repel mm -hmm. and so what might the world look like if instead of when we come up against one of those things, mm -hmm. when we come up against a friction like that, yeah. 
that instead of shoving it away, flipping it off, saying something nasty, talking about it, we just let it be. Okay. It is what it is. Now, you might say, well, what if it's a government situation or a work situation where it's somebody, you know, or it's my brother or it's my sister? Like, it's like, just because they're your relative doesn't mean that you have to be in relationship with them, first of all. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you can do that in a loving, compassionate way. Right. It doesn't have to be bad. But if it's a work situation, for example, where you are in a situation where you have to work with this person. Right. You've both been hired for your respective skills. Okay. So you've both been hired because you have skills. So there's going to be 10% of anything that other person says that's got some accuracy to it another practice that you and I have studied, right? So if that is the case, and we know that we have the common goal of the company's success, because the company's success is our success, then who gives a shit if you like them or the way they communicate? Figure it out, figure it out. You know, we like to say that we are this big advanced animal species because we have, you know, opposable thumbs and cognitive Mm -hmm. reasoning and all sorts of executive function and that sort of thing. But we're animals at the end of the day. And we are animals with a big, beautiful, juicy, powerful, incredibly complex, incredibly mysterious chunk of gray pulp shoved in this, you know, this bone box up here that what if we just tapped into 2% more of the power that was there? Scientists say that we're barely tapping into this much. It's like, it's like me with Microsoft Excel. I know how much more power it has. Oh, yes. Like I've got friends who can do magic with an Excel spreadsheet. And I just look at what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, I just use it to make charts. That's yeah. all. Yeah. That are relative, that are moderately interactive. Yeah. But I could tap into that further. So, and that's again, where communication comes in. It is the, it is the, the level to which we as humans have the gift of communication is the thing that makes us so unique of any other animal species. Our ability to understand, to comprehend, to assess and attach meanings to things and connect things it with, with such exquisite complexity yeah. is the thing that makes us uniquely different than any other species. There is not a single other species on the planet that is known to our awareness to have that level, that depth, that breadth, that ability. And so what might the world look like Mm -hmm. if everybody could tap into that power for themselves in their tiny little part of the world? Because, you know, you said, like, you know, this... (laughs) You called it a super cool word, like, you know... It was a bone... It's a bone box. The bone box, yeah. Uh, that if we kind of tap into the like just an extra two percent, and then some magic happens. Yeah. Uh, and what about we tap in this one? And then, and then if we ta- when we tap into this one, we have access to what's to that pre pre voice thing that you talked about at the very start between your dog and and yourself, and that. And so I think we are so unique that we have access to both. And, and I'll take it one step even further yeah. from there. We don't just have this and we don't just have that. Yeah. We have the ability to actually connect the two. Yes, 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 yes. That's, that's, the, next, that's the next level for communication. And that's, you know, I'm just over here changing the world in my... <laughs> <laughs> no, no big, no big whoop. Just, you know, transforming, transforming yeah. civilization. Uh-huh. Like literally, like literally my coach always gives me a hard time. She said, Kathy, whenever you say something that has truth, why do you always say it in a, in a funny voice? Say it. So yeah. Yeah. After the day, my vision is to heal the world and to do it by creating a world where people can be compassionate, yeah. where people can be understanding and where people can have enough agency in themselves that when someone refuses to meet them in a way that works for them, that they can just let it go and just let it go and not have to make them wrong yeah. and not have to show everybody else how wrong they are yeah. and gather their little community over here to say, see that person over there? They're kind of just, 
Yeah, but when when we're not connected here, we can't do that. Correct. So that's my take is that you're, because you said like, you know, you're all about the voice and helping people with, I think you're a lot more about this. Well, the voice comes from here. Yeah. This is, this just gives you the words. Yeah. But the words come from somewhere much deeper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, connecting people, um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about open bubble, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to talk about. Yeah. We'll, we'll do this again. We'll do this again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. When you connect to here, we don't need, we don't need the words. Nope. Yeah. Oh God. Kathy. <laughs> Is there something what's is, is there something we haven't talked about that that's world peace? No, I think we touched on world peace. We yeah. didn't talk about my hockey team. Oh god. <laughs> this lady is mad about hockey. <laughs> hockey dogs, music, and food. Is there anything else to really worry about? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, my hockey team is um hopefully by the time people see this, they will have won the Stanley Cup. Okay. Let's put that intention into the universe. I'm supporting you. I have no idea what that standing standing. Yeah, just like, wah, 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 wah. but I know it's important to you. So, yes. like putting it out there. Um, and what's if you had some last words that you want people to hear? What, mm. what would they be? So, if you are someone who struggles with communicating. Mm-hmm. And people have always told you that you're wrong. You're not doing it right. Your voice is too this. Your language is too that. First and foremost, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You're not doing anything wrong. You're being precisely human in the way that you learn to be human. You got to where you are. Congratulations. Congratulations. You've survived this far in your life, which there are others who haven't. So give yourself some credit and give yourself some grace, Mm -mm. give yourself some grace. And um, I have a fun little thing that I would love to share with your, with your audience. Um, I'll be giving you uh, the link for it. I have a little three-part audio series that I put together about uh, learning to ground your communication and it's done through the filter of dogs. So it's a fun, it's, it's fun. It should make you laugh. Uh, and I'll, I'll make sure that Julie has all that information. And if anyone's got any questions, um, I'm pretty easily findable on LinkedIn and on Instagram and all of the, pla- all of the places. Sure. I'll make sure that all the links are everywhere. I and love that. Everywhere. something that just crossed my mind, because now we're thinking about our, the Pomsky, the Pomeranian and the Husky. And now I have mental pictures of people that you know, like who's the husky in the team? Who's the Pomeranian in the team? Who's the Chihuahua? This is actually precisely the coaching that I do because when wow. when you do it through that lens, yeah, it takes off some of the pressure. Okay, so which like just for the fun, which dog am I? Do you reckon? Oh goodness, um, so. I see you, I see you as, I see you as a couple, there's a couple of different things. Um, so I see you as, uh, that's, maybe it's just because I know that you're in Ireland right da- now. So, um, so there's the, the wolfhound, which is an, like the, uh, the Irish wolfhound and the Scottish deerhound are the two, two of the largest dog breeds on the planet. Um, but watching them run is like watching a horse run. They're just very elegant, but they're scruffy and you're not scruffy. So I'm trying to see um, like the form of an Italian greyhound, but Italian greyhounds are like mm. nervous and shaky and you're not that. So I think a whippet. Oh, okay. I think a whippet because you're the greyhound is like a big dog and like I, I have, there's an elegance to the whippet. That's like a medium-sized Looks like a greyhound, but medium-sized. Okay. And they're lovely and they've got a little more balanced energy because greyhounds are actually pretty chill. Yeah. And Italian greyhounds, the little teeny ones are 
like they're usually they shake all the time and you're not someone who shakes all the time so <laughs> but they're smart they're snuggly um they're fast they're curious what a great what a great team meeting you know like a fun thing to kind of like a uh it's a fun icebreaker it's a fun yeah, icebreaker yeah map everyone with like which dog are you that's so fun yeah i have a couple of different icebreakers that i do with my my groups that um all of them are around um uh you know identifying dogs in each other and dogs that people have known through their lives it's just a wonderful way to loosen the conversation oh yeah that's awesome yeah yeah makes me yeah we'll do this again for sure Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. And so My delight. Everyone, everyone will get the links to contact you and to get access to your course. And I'll see you really soon. And I will see everyone Important. else for the next conversation. Love you, everyone.